T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Um, Johnny Rabbit at your service, and our parade of talented presenters is here today. A special guest, Jen Hatton. I'm from the St. Louis Public Library. What a great institution. You should be very proud of working at a place like that. Oh, we are, I am very proud. Thanks for having us. Of course. You're always welcome. Your job is manager of public relations right. and digital marketing. Correct. They, how, do, how do they connect? Um, well, uh, basically, I um, am, I promote the website, social media, things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm part of any of the digital um, user face of the library. And what does that mean? <laughs> Tell me what that means in English. It basically just means that I, I'm what the I'm the customer. I, I handle the digital part that the customers see. So I do the website. I do social media. Uh-huh. Um, we also do billboards and. Uh, bus tales, anything to promote the library to our customers. So social media meaning? Social media meaning Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you put out stories or articles or PR materials on these? Anything that, um, you know, if we're announcing a new exhibit or um, an upcoming uh, program or something new at the library, those are things that we're announcing. And... um, what is what has changed in your job since? How long have you been there? I have been there six years. Well, probably not a lot has changed in six years. No, not I would much. Imagine. No, but if you you were to say twenty years, you know, that certainly would have been a lot different twenty years ago right. on how to do this. And it's certainly different at the the downtown library, the central library, thirteen hundred one Olive Street, right across, right there. We have looked out this window; we could see it. Yeah, we're your neighbors. Yep, a big square block building and. I, it's just, it has always been a wonderful building, but 10 years ago, something happened. Good. Yeah. 10 years ago, we reopened um, the building, which was built in 1912, um, underwent a $70 million renovation and restoration, and reopened um, 10 years ago next month. So on December 9th and 10th, we are going to be celebrating our 10 year anniversary of our reopening. And so we invite people to come down and celebrate with us. If you haven't seen the building, this is your opportunity to see it. We're going to have dose and lead tours, which we oh, have good, good. all. We have free dose and lead tours every Monday and and Saturday anyway. But we're going to have them on the ninth and the tenth. We're also going to have a special happy birthday storytelling, um, some other programs, crafts, things like that. So we just want you to come celebrate with us. If you haven't seen the building, 
this is definitely a chance to get down and see it. Yeah, but a lot of people have not. A lot of people pass by and maybe sometimes pass by too fast because there's a lot to see in the exterior of the building as you look around and these figures and faces and names and quotes and all that are there. It's a, there's, a, there's a whole story about the library outside of the library. Not just don't have to go in, find things there, but go in to see a beautiful architecture. Gosh, they room after room, those ceilings are just so wonderful, and the lighting is so much better. For a while, they got into all that fluorescent lighting and stuff, and <clears throat> it wasn't as good. But now, it, it is very good. But I don't, don't see the uh, the cards anymore. The big uh, Dewey Decimal cards are gone. The card catalog. You know what we have on the third floor? There is one remaining card oh, catalog. Oh, darn. Um, so if you go upstairs to the third floor into our St. Louis room, which is all things St. Louis in that room, um, which is just a gem itself to go in there and explore. Mm-hmm. We have is. yearbooks and maps and things like that. But if you go into that card catalog, one of the um, exceptional things about it is that since we no longer use it to to hold the card catalog, our staff over the years have taken and make, made notes about thing, all things St. Louis. So in the card catalog, there might be a note about a St. Louis author and what they like to eat or um, something about them that somebody has um, proven to be correct. It's just St. Louis facts. So um, if you ever want to do a St. Louis trivia night, this would be the resource that you would use because everything and anything St. Louis related is known in that room. That is interesting. Third floor, St. Louis room. What else is in that room beside the card catalog? We have old yearbooks. So if you're looking for somebody... Um, or if you're looking for yourself, if you, uh, we have old yearbooks from St. Louis schools. We have maps. We have um, books on St. Louis authors, books about St. Louis, um, just anything that you really need to know. And we have great reference librarians in that room that can help you. If you're trying to track something down, they would be the one to help. Who would be the head of that department? So that department, actually the whole floor upstairs, ah. our third floor, mm-hmm. we have a genealogy room. Uh-huh. We have a rare books and manuscripts room. Yeah. And we have the St. Louis room. And um, that was overseen by Amanda Baravola. Now, what about the, there is that, uh, is it, I can't think of the name of it all, but Stedman? Stedman, that is a true treasure that we actually have in um, on the second floor. And so the Stedman Architectural Library um, is a sort of, um, we consider it a hidden gem. A lot of people don't know when they actually go into the fine arts room on the second floor. They might just think it's a doorway, but it's actually a library where uh, George uh, St- um, George Stedman actually gave uh, the St. Louis Public Library an endowment to create oh. and build that library. And then he gave us his collection All of architectural books. Yeah. So if you're an architectural student, an architect yourself, you're interested in it, um, we have uh, lectures that are architectural lectures that are sponsored by the endowment as well as we also have um, – we do tours and open it up. It's not open to the public on – any given day, but if you uh, attend one of our lectures or something, you can see it. Who does go in there to see it if it's not open to the public, being a public library? Well, it's not open to the public as in the room is unlocked because it is uh, secured. But mm-hmm. if you make an appointment, you can go in and see it. I see. That's good. That's an, It is a beautiful room, a beautiful place. It so it is. Just, and it's different than anything else in the library. It's exactly. not like every room is different. Every room is different. And that's one of the great things about the renovation that happened 10 years ago. The building 
kept its um, historic um, architecture, but then there's a modern feel to it. So if you go into our first floor, um, it really has the modern feel of a, of a modern day library. But if you go on the second floor, the ceilings, as you were talking about, each one is different. Each one tells a story. Um, And so I think that it's something if you haven't had a chance to bring family down, do a dose and lead tour. We also have a audio tour app. So if you can't come down on a Monday or Saturday and schedule a dose and lead tour, if you don't have time to do that, you can actually do the audio tour app on your own. Download it on your phone. It's we have it available for Google, um, Google Play and Apple Store. It's free. And it will take you room by room and do an audio tour of the whole building. That is so interesting. Who who can get a library card? Well, you, anybody can get a library card. Anybody can get a library card if you live or work in the city of St. Louis, St. Louis County, St. Charles County, if you attend school in those areas. Um, and if you're out of state, you can you can get a library card if you become a friend of the library. So for a small uh, annual donation to the library, you can still have use the services. The friends are going to have an event. The friends are going to have an event. So we are doing a prom, um, and that is going to be January 27th. Uh, 27th. And right now we're actually looking for our royal court. So what we're asking St. Louis to do is to, to nominate somebody who makes a difference in your community, whether it's somebody who in your neighborhood who um, plants flowers and beautifies the street or helps somebody um, by picking up their groceries or anything that mm-hmm. they're doing to make a difference in their neighborhood, nominate them to be a part of our royal court. We will be uh, narrowing it down to six individuals, and then we will be crowning um, two members of the royal court um, at the event. And it's just kind of a fun prom uh, celebration and it's kind of all in honor of the prom magazine which we have an exclusive collection in our we, uh, we have a, a large selection in our collection sure. um, and the prom magazine just celebrates just high school in general and st yep. louis julian miller was the publisher of prom mm-hmm. very nice man knew him quite well uh they started it in 1947 and it ended in 1973 uh and basically it, it not it, there are some months that are meant. So basically, all that time there was a monthly prom magazine, and it, as you said, it's all about the high schools. A lot of prom reporters. I just think of one of the prom reporters. I think from 1960 for St. Louis University High School uh, is uh, a re- regular visitor to the Stedman Architectural Library. Uh, uh, he, John Gunther is his name, and uh, John is uh, very interested in. In architecture in our community, we're going to be doing a talk sometime that will be including the library as far as the architecture and the design of buildings. Like there are so many great buildings in St. Louis, like the building we're in. There's a, it's a, architecturally, it's a, a very impressive building from the exterior and interior. Other than downstairs, uh, every, everything has been changed. Mm-hmm. But it's it's nice to, to know and see and feel that the library really hasn't changed anything other than getting rid of the stacks. Right. That were on the Locust Street side, the north side. So there is a modern section there incorporating some of the uh, those tiles or whatever, the bricks or whatever. Right. Called. And so where did right. all those books go? What happened to those books? Well, we, we opened up more space. So they went into public-facing rooms where you could actually, instead of having a library and go into the stacks and retrieve something for mm-hmm. you, 
which we still do have a portion of that. But now those books are out to the public where you can browse on your own. We've opened up the space to allow uh, rooms. We have the Center for the Reader, uh, which is our fiction uh, area for adults on the first floor. Um, So that's more space down there. There's the Children's Library on the first floor as well. Um, And then one of the things that we also have that we created when we uh, reopened was uh, creative experience. And so that is a digital makerspace area. And um, we now, throughout the system, have three of those at three separate locations. Well, let's talk about those in just a couple of minutes. Okay. And I want to talk more about the prom. That's, it sounds like an interesting thing. for the, It's for the public, too, is it not? Yes, and that's oh, the good. other thing. So we want the public. Um, it is a ticketed event. You can purchase tickets, $60 for an individual or $40 for a, a friend's um, uh, member. But it will be a night of dancing and uh cocktails and um, hors d'oeuvres. And what we really want people to do is come out and and to um, just have a fun prom, dress from the era that your prom was. Or um, we're going to have dancers who are going to teach us different dances from throughout the era. Great. So it'll be a great time. It sounds like it. We'll talk more about all of this at the Seamless Public Library. And then we've got to talk about the branch libraries as well. Johnny Rabbit at your service, KMOX. And we're talking to Jen Hatton from the library, downtown library. We've been talking about a prom on the 27th of January. And this will be a fundraiser sponsored by the Friends of the Library. Uh, We need some people for the Royal Court. There are going to be a couple selected. And uh, Jen had mentioned uh, nominating someone. How would somebody nominate a person or people? Yeah, so you can nominate Either by going to our website right now on our homepage of our website, there is a page that you click on and you can fill out a form. Um, We're just asking for you to give us information about your nominee, um, why you want to nominate them, what they've done to make an impact in the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do need your contact information as well as their contact information, but you could submit um, a nomination. We also have forms in each one of our 16 locations. So if you don't want to go online and nominate somebody, you can go into one of our locations or you can print off the PDF that is on the webs on our website and then send that into our um, one of our locations. That's so great. there's various yeah. ways. What's the, what's the website? So the website is slpl.org. That's it. That's all you need. Yep, very That's slpl.org. And that is this the first time they've done something like a prom? This is the first time we've done a prom. So there's going to be live music or music, recorded music. We're going to have a music. DJ and we're going to have selfie stations where, like I said, if you want to dress in your prom gear mm-hmm. or from your prom era or just any any era that you enjoyed, you can dress in that, um, that style. And then we're going to have a selfie station. We're also going to have an area where you can get a prom picture taken right there on the spot. And we're going to have the prom background. So you and your guests, your friends can come and uh, relive prom or make a new memory of prom. And the magazines, will any of them been, be on display or shown in some way? Um, we, yeah, we, we think that we'll have some of those, uh, some of those on display. And uh, this is really more just about honoring somebody in St. Louis as well, though. We really want somebody to, people to nominate people who are making a difference in their community to be part of the court. Well, in Prom Magazine, a lot of people wanted to be a SNP. Do, a, you, do you know about SNPs? I do not. See name in Prom. Oh. And so a lot of the uh, articles were written by the reporters in the schools would list a bunch of names and with a little asterisk and SNP. 
That was all. People did look for their name, just, just, just their name, nothing else. You mentioned 16 locations. We have 16 locations. So most people know the central location is our, our main location, but we have 16 locations throughout St. Louis um, that just, just cover all of the neighborhoods. And so really, I mean, if you go to our website, you can look. We have all of our locations listed. There's Probably one near you that oh, I didn't imagine. even know about. Yeah, probably um, so. And they, and they range in sizes. We have larger locations like our Schlafly or our Booter, which is on Hampton, or Julia Davis Library. And then we have our neighborhood branch like Bar on Jefferson, Crondelet, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Cabany. Those are some of our smaller neighborhoods. And then we even have what we consider like our mini branches, which is Charing Cross or Central Express, which is down the street in the old uh, post office. So those are some of our smaller storefront. That's great to know. I had no idea there were 16 locations. And stop in and see. Every library is is totally unique. None are like the, the central library, of course. But there there is a uniqueness. Some are very modern. Some are like bars, very uh, pretty, right. pretty old. Yes, exactly. Some of them are old buildings. Some of them are uh, new buildings. But each one has a really a strong place in the community. What we think of our neighborhood branches, some of those... Those are really like hubs of the community. Some of those neighborhoods without the without the branch, you know, it's really um, like a community center. It's it a gathering spot for for the young. It is a place for them to get connectivity. Some of the areas that we serve, they, you know, don't have a place to connect to Wi-Fi. They don't have a place to use a computer or to print a document. And those are all things that you can do at any of your locations. Great services. I've been so much to one thing. I just want to ask before we talk about monsters for about we had one minute to talk about monsters. But where does the money come from for operating all of them? And just thinking the cost of heating these buildings, enormous amounts of money. Well, it's basically from the taxpayers. Well, good for the taxpayers. I'll go for that. And now, what about these monsters, monsters, superheroes and villains? Yeah. So this is the current exhibit that we have downtown in our central library on in the Great Hall, and it is open until January 15th. It's a free exhibit. Um, it's a curate exhibit from Super Monster uh, City. Um, basically, there's a toy collector who has collected a enormous amount of toys, and these are his, this is his curated collection, and it features over 500 pieces. So there's toys wow. that stem from, you know, years ago, monsters, villains, superheroes, there's toys, there's posters, there's movie trailers. It's really just a, a, a sight. And uh, somebody who didn't grow up is sort of liking that genre, just going through. I even am able to walk through and look at the cases and see things that I remember a friend of mine had that toy. Or, oh, my brother oh. had that toy. One of the things from my era is that my brother had the He-Man castle. I don't remember if you know mm. who He-Man is, but no, I don't. there was yeah. He-Man and She-Ra, and, uh, and <laughs> he had the He-Man castle, and I wasn't allowed to touch it except for when oh. he wasn't there. And it had this microphone at the top of it where you could speak into it, and it would disguise your voice and make it very, seem very scary. Um, and this is one of the things that we have. Um, some of the He-Man and the She-Ra things are on display. Um and so it takes you back to that time where you remember when you were able to to sneak into your brother's room and see that toy and maybe break that toy and then not tell him that you broke that toy. Um, but it's just really an exciting exhibit for all ages. We've had um, some of our older customers come through and, you know, feel very nostalgic 
Well, that, that's downtown. That's downtown. Central. Jan Hatton, thank you. You've been very kind, and I know you're busy doing all of those digital marketing things and relating with the public. It's very good. We appreciate you very much. Thank this you. This is Johnny Rabbit, KMOX, at your service. Johnny Rabbit, at your service. News time at KMOX is now one thirty-five. Donate a car, get a tax receipt, and tickets to the St. Louis Aquarium at MERSGoodwill.org. Uh, wow, Chris Knopfiger, have you lost a lot of weight or something? You looked, I mean, you look like you're Superman. I've, it's incredible. Well, I, I, I did lose a, a substantial amount of weight I when I was so. in France. Uh, I walked all over the place, oh, and so I did, I did lose some weight. So thanks for noticing. France. What were you doing in France? Any... Well, I, you know, I, I went to Paris and a bunch of different sites in northern France. I was uh, sort of interested in kind of, you know, doing some exploration of how French architecture influenced St. Louis architecture. And there's obviously a huge influence on St. Louis, uh, St. Louis's city hall, for yeah, example. Right. Um, I was kind of, it's sort of interesting, you know, sort of the uh, cliche thing that people say about St. Louis's city hall is it's based off of uh, Paris's city hall. It, it Interestingly enough, I actually went to Paris's city hall. It doesn't really look like St. Louis's city hall at all. <laughs> so, what the heck? I always thought it was a no. Uh, it maybe a tiny bit does, but yeah. actually, it's very interesting. I I actually had the opportunity to go out to the Loire Valley, which is very famous for its you know chateaus, and there's actually a chateau out that way called uh, Chambord. It's a very famous one. I think a lot of people have actually probably seen pictures of it. They didn't realize it. In fact, that actually is shows a lot more influence for the French Renaissance. Supposedly, Leonardo da Vinci really did live out in the Loire Valley for uh, King Francis the First. And there's all sorts of legends about, you know, supposedly, you know, Leonardo helped design certain aspects. There's this very famous double helix staircase at Chambord. And uh, supposedly, you know, Leonardo da Vinci helped inspire uh, the architecture. Supposedly. Of all those. Supposedly. Yeah, that's what it, I, I, I joke that if, you know, there's if Leonardo da Vinci was in the neighborhood and they don't know the architect of a particular building, they always just automatically say Leonardo da Vinci designed that building. Why not? What the hell? <laughs> exactly. Huh. But no, it was really great. Uh, particularly, you know, St. Louis has its beautiful Gothic revival churches. St. Francis de Sales is one of my favorite. Yeah, um, that's true. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, going to all the famous French cathedrals like Notre Dame, which is obviously underneath reconstruction right now, or Chartres or Rems Cathedral, which was maybe my favorite. It's really, I think it's really special. I think St. Louisans, when they go to France, I think you really see how much we can appreciate St. Louis's architecture. Um, by going back to seeing mm-hmm. its roots and just seeing how special and how much we should be proud of St. Louis. So you walked a lot? A lot. Supposedly, <laughs> according to my iPhone, it was well over 100 miles. I oh, walked. my. Yeah. That's Supposedly. A lot. Uh, now, uh, speaking of City Hall, you spent some time there. These yeah. Days. I, 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 so Michael Butler just won re-election. Uh, yes. Thank you. He's That's a recorder of deeds. Exactly. St. Louis voters, thank you. And uh, he's really been giving us the opportunity to do a lot of really great things. Uh, just recently, we dug up the death records for Dredd and Harriet Scott. And for those people out there who may not know who that famous couple are, they were uh, two slaves who were enslaved right here in St. Louis, and they sued for their freedom. It was perhaps maybe one of the – it's famous for being one of the worst Supreme Court decisions ever. You can read about it online. And we actually – they passed away right here in St. Louis. Uh, They actually are now buried. Uh, Dredd is buried in Calvary Cemetery up on West Florissant. And Harriet is buried out in uh, Greenwood Cemetery, which I encourage you uh, listeners to look up uh, those two very historic cemeteries. And we actually had the opportunity to, to meet Lynn Jackson, a wonderful woman. She's actually a, a direct descendant of Harriet and Dred Scott. 
And we uh, about a month ago, we presented uh, her with uh, copies of the actual records from our death records. Wow. Uh, these giant books, uh, we actually inherited them, the Recorder of Deeds office did, from the old health department here in St. Louis. These are big. I mean, when you say giant, what's, what's um, size? They're big. Uh, they weighed 20 to 30 pounds oh, each. Goodness. And the the pages, you know, 11 by 17 paper, that's uh-huh. basically why 11 by 17 paper is, you know, made is so you can make copies of these giant ledger books. Yeah. Can the public look at these? Is it- so uh, they are very fragile. Uh, we keep them very carefully stored. Um, but these are a public record and uh, you can ask us to search for them. Uh, And one thing that's very important, I know a lot of people have been sort of anxiously waiting. We did receive our birth record books back from the state of Missouri. They were in the process of digitizing them. We haven't actually gotten the digital copies back yet, but we have gotten the birth record books back. So if you've maybe called or stopped in recently in the last couple months, anxiously awaiting those birth record books to to return from the state of Missouri, uh, we have gotten those back. Now, who looks at that? Who wants to see uh, what a typical uh, request would be for what reason? So primarily for genealogy, but also a a substantial percentage of the people who are coming uh, searching for birth records and also marriage license records are people who are applying for dual citizenship. That's Hmm. very common. Um, because uh, many countries in Western Europe, including Italy and Ireland, are members of the European Union, if you are able to apply for and gain dual citizenship to Italy or Ireland, you then get the benefits of European Union membership. So you can basically go through a shorter line at the airport, to be blunt. And oh, But obviously that's maybe sort of uh, kind of maybe a little crass benefits of European <laughs> Union membership, though I always kind of, you know, jealously look at the shorter lines when I'm passing through I security. I bet you do. I would too. There's all sorts of benefits. Obviously, there's uh, all sorts of social benefits, uh, you know, different, you know, welfare and all sorts of different benefits of, of being a, a European Union member. And uh, also a lot of people, I think, just do it because social source of pride. Um, our marriage license records, you know, we have well over 900,000. Those are being digitized as well. Um, those are incredible. Uh, just the extensive holdings we have marriage licenses. Now, all of this is at City Hall? Yeah, exactly, in the Recorder of Deeds office. Um, the archives where I work is in room 129. And do you get a lot of visitors? I mean, people just coming down out of the blue and... Yeah, and I mean, we, we get a lot. Um, it's... I never realized this until I started working. It is a, a pretty large business uh, for people to aid in the acquisition of birth records and marriages because uh, obviously the Italian government, I would say probably about 70 to 80 percent of the people applying for dual citizenship are applying for Italian dual citizenship. And there are whole companies that basically do the work for you. It can be pretty extensive. Obviously, the Italian government... Um, Maybe I love Italy, but it's a little famous for its bureaucracy. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, they need extensive documentation because they do not want people to claim Italian citizenship who can't prove going back for several generations that they are, in fact, Italian um, by, by, you know. Ancestry. That's very interesting. I've never thought of people doing that. That's a, I, a, you know, I, I've heard of dual citizenship. I know I have German background, and I, I maybe people don't necessarily realize this, but going back for centuries, Germanic peoples were encouraged to settle in places like Russia, uh, southeastern Europe. Um, and after World War II, a lot of those Germans were actually forcefully 
evacuated, for lack of a better term, to what is now modern-day Germany. Um, so I, I did know about that, that you know there were Germ- millions of Germans living outside of Germany. Um, but also, you know, so I did know about that, but I didn't realize that there was such a large, actual whole business of acquiring Italian dual citizenship, actually. We're going to talk more about this, but I, I also want to talk to you in just a couple of minutes. We're going to take a short commercial break about some of the things you do with, I guess you could call it history or nostalgia about St. Louis, about breweries and so on. And oh, but uh, you mentioned you're going to be doing a talk. I don't want to forget about that somewhere this coming week. You want to talk about that now before yeah, the break? Just as yeah, free. actually, I might forget. Uh, Cameron Collins, uh, who also is a really great historian mm-hmm. here in St. Louis, he has distilled history. He's written a couple of books as well. We're uh, giving a presentation about uh, prohibition out at the Daniel Boone Library out in uh, might be Clarkson Valley or Chesterfield, out of out off of Clarkson Road at uh, six p.m. Uh, December 9th. and so that's coming up in a couple of weeks. I'll be talking about how. Uh, Falstaff Corporation came out of the ashes of the Lump Brewery, and I don't know off the top of my head what Cameron's talking about, but I know him well, and it'll be something really interesting. That is interesting. Thank you. We'll be right back with Chris Knopsiger, our guest. Uh, today, at your service, uh, the show, if you're wondering, wait, where is the show? They're just taking the day off, and the uh, Amy and Chris will be with us again on Monday, Monday morning until early afternoon. A few changes on the station, but basically everybody's here, but possibly in just a little different area that you've heard them before. Uh, Chris is our guest, Chris Knopfsiger from the Recorder of Deeds office in St. Louis, and we'll be right back right after these important messages on KMOX. Here we are. This is Johnny Rabbit. Chris Knopfsiger is our guest. We are at your service on KMOX. I mean, Chris, you write a lot for different publications and so on, off and on, and presenting programs and whatever. It takes a lot of time. And how do you do your research? Where do you go for research? Well, I think, you know, probably my number one place here in St. Louis that I think has some of the best resources in Missouri History Museum Library and Research Center, that has just an amazing um, amount of, you know, primary source documents, Things that actually originally were in City Hall I find kind of interesting, and I'm not exactly sure how they ended up there. One of my favorite, um, just from my own personal research, uh, I think something that a lot of people don't realize is that the city of St. Louis inherited this huge piece of of land called the St. Louis Commons, which was, uh, just for kind of reference, it's the section of the city south of basically Shoto Avenue, east of Grand stretching kind of all the way down to Carondelet, and that was the St. Louis Commons. It was basically where French uh, colonial residents let their their herds of, you know, cattle and sheep mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, run wild. And it wasn't really very good land because there were so many sinkholes, and everybody knows about sinkholes right. in St. Louis. Every so often you, you'll be driving down a street, you know, in the state streets, and uh, you'll see like a house that's a little crooked, or you might even see a house that you remember when you were young back in the back in the day when you grew up in Dutchtown or, you know, and that the house was crooked and then you drive by it recently and the house is gone. Um, well, so anyway, the St. Louis Commons is actually very fascinating. When St. Louis, the town of St. Louis became part of the United States, uh, city leaders actually went to the U.S. Congress and successfully lobbied and, and actually were able to get a bill passed by the U.S. Congress uh, – forcing the acquisition by the town of St. Louis of that land based on colonial claims. And 
what happened then is that the city of St. Louis had a man named Charles DeWard survey that property into a giant, what looks like basically a giant checkerboard. And, you know, listeners can maybe look at their computer or their iPhone after and go to Google Maps. And you can actually kind of look and see that all of that land of South St. Louis, east of Grand, is this giant checkerboard, just like these nice even squares, except for around like Anheuser-Busch and to the west where you can see that there's these crooked streets. And those were actually some old French farm fields that interrupted that grid. And so St. Louis began to sell off those squares for money to generate capital to help develop the city. And the Missouri History Museum has this amazing primary source document, as we call it, meaning it's a, it's a document that was created by people at the time of you know, history that was being created. And it's an actual ledger that records all of the land transactions. So you can actually see, uh, you know, I, I'm very interested in the Lemp family. You can actually see the actual land transaction for when Adam Lemp bought his portion of property that his cave was underneath. So you can actually see that he bought his 9.7 acres for $970. Oh, my gosh. And that basically works out. Well, I'm pretty bad at math. Is that what, like $100 an acre, right? And so he bought 9.7, so $970, right? So $70 for that seven-tenths of an acre. And it's really fascinating because land speculation was just wild and rampant. And, in fact, if you look at some of the most famous, you know, still very wealthy families in St. Louis – you go back far enough and you actually can look at some of these old transactions and you can see that a lot of their wealth came out of originally owning lots of land mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And back in before the Civil War and also after the Civil War for a long time, you could actually make huge amounts of land. Just for example, you know, Adam Lemp was obviously a very successful brewer. That property that he bought for $970, a, less than a decade later in 1856, he auctioned off that land for over $25,000. So that's just the type of thing you can learn about, sure. you know, just from things at the Missouri History Museum. Something I just discovered, like, well, it was about a year and a half ago, they also have this book that actually has the rental payments for land that they hadn't sold yet. And I don't know how I had missed it before. You can actually see how Adam Lemp rented that land for several years before he bought it. Mm. And the rent was pretty high. So it actually makes sense why he went ahead and just decided to buy it because he was paying like $150 a year in rent for that nine, 9.7 acres. So just thinking like you can, you can uh, begin to kind of develop this picture of his business and how he was thinking, you know, wait a minute, why am I spending all this money when I could actually just take out a loan to buy it and pay less in principal and interest on the loan that I'm actually paying in rent every year to the city. It's really fascinating. And that's at the Missouri Historical Society exactly. Library, which is not open right now. It's yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I, is that how long they're yeah, closed? They say January? they're reopened, whatever renovations were being, are being done in January. You don't have a, a date on it. But then it's really fascinating. I can go back to my office at the Recorder Deeds, and they have, or we have, the original, or a copy, I should say, of the actual transaction from when the city sells it to Adam Lemp, and you can actually see. And then also there's the deed of trust, which is what we call basically a mortgage in the state of Missouri, where he basically buys it, and then he takes out a loan. And what's very interesting is he actually borrows a lot of money from women originally. So he actually relies on a woman from Frankfurt, Germany. It's like, it's actually, it's really interesting. And 
you can actually then, when it gets up to that auction I was talking about, you can actually see there's like, oh my gosh, like 20 general warranty deeds filed one after another on that day when he sells off from that auction, just making a killing. But you had to have bought really early in St. Louis history. And then as the city was just growing exponentially, if you had bought early, you could make a fortune. Oh, of course. Now, what about the caves, the Lemp Caves? Oh. Right, now, do, it, it, who owns the caves? So the cave is actually, it's owned by the owner of the Lemp Brewery. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, and that actually, you can look in online. You, know, you can look in public records, court records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who owns it. So yeah. they, I always wondered if if, if they, well, the, whoever owned the upper part of the land owns what's Yeah, and I'm not an land. expert in property law or an attorney, but yeah, that's who owns it. Yep. Now, one more time about your event coming up. Yeah, so that's coming up on December 9th at 6 p.m. Daniel Boone branch to the St. Louis County Library. It'll be me and Cameron Collins will be speaking about prohibition. Um, I'll be specifically talking about how the Lemp Brewery collapsed and how the Falstaff Brewing Corporation rose out of the ashes with that purchase of one of uh, Lemp's trademark um, came out of that. So I think it'll be really interesting. It will be. And what about Falstaff? That's that's gone. The the, the brand is gone. Some, yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't been resurrected. So the, the, the trademark is still owned by somebody out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure who it is off the top of my head, but it's never actually died out. There, You remember a lot of those People might remember back in the 60s and 70s, there were all these other national breweries out there. And basically, a holding company has bought up a lot of those old, you know, like Ballantyne. Well, Chris, we're out of time, unfortunately. already. Think of the stuff we could talk about. We'll do it again, I hope. Yeah, definitely. All right. Chris Knopsiker, our guest. This is Johnny Rabbit on KMOX, and we are at your service. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now, with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.